You don't just walk in to a job and have it 100% from the first day. I mean, every time you got to learn a little bit about how it works. Some jobs, it may not take much. Years ago, when I worked at Schnucks across the highway here, inside two weeks, I was a, you know, I didn't need any more training. I mean, how much training does it take to bag groceries and get carts? You know, don't put the milk on top of the eggs and try not to bounce the carts off any of the cars in the parking lot. That's kind of the training. Easy. If you want to be a medical doctor, it takes a little more. Four years undergrad, four-year med school, three to seven years in residency, depending on your specialty. That's 10 to 14 years of schooling. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I, I don't want to do that much. Maybe I do something else. Trade school. You, know, you want to be a master electrician. To get to that point, you need about four to five years minimum as an apprentice, eight years as a journeyman, plus some additional schooling. Takes a bit before you really know what you're doing. Even those jobs that have a four-year bachelor's degree requirement, they don't turn you loose on day one. You have to learn what your school didn't teach you. You don't graduate out of Rollo with a nice fresh engineering degree and go up to Boeing and have them say, great, welcome, go design our new fighter. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. You gotta learn. It takes time to become what we need to be. And even for those who follow Christ, we find this at work for us. It takes time. It sure would be nice if we would get out of the baptistry, which can't see our baptistry today. We seem to be in space. You know, baptistry's back there, although finding it is kind of a second star to the right and straight on till morning type of proposition at the moment. It's back there. But you don't get out of that, towel yourself off, and realize, wow, now I am perfectly like Christ. Now I no longer deal with temptation. Now I no longer deal with sin. That's all done. I am perfect in the Lord. <laughs> no. No, it didn't work that way for any of us, did it? I look around in here, I see a room full of imperfect people because we're not there yet. None of us is. We have a lot of work to do. We call this work, here's a great church word for you, you're not going to run into this in a lot of places. Sanctification. If you can drop that on a triple word score in Scrabble, you're getting the points. But you don't really find that in memos at work. I think what we need to do is sanctify the new product line. No, it doesn't happen. Sanctification, it's a church word because what it means is we are becoming the saints that God has declared us to be when we are converted. Usually we put sanctification right in line with the word justification. Justification is what happens when we come to Jesus. When we give our lives to Him, we are justified. Easy way to remember what justified means? We are made just as if I'd never sinned. God looks at us and says, I don't see sin, I see my son. I see a redeemed person, sinless, perfect. That's justification. And then we spend our entire lives working on becoming what God sees. That's sanctification. Long process. 
Not a one of us is ever going to finish it. You, you know it's a long job. How long is this going to take until you die? I mean, I mean, laundry feels that way, doesn't it? But sanctification takes even longer than the laundry. It's the work of a lifetime. And this idea of sanctification, it's the focus of Paul's letter to this church in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a major city. It's the capital of the province of Macedonia back in, Ro- back in Roman times. Paul started the church there in Acts chapter 17. He gets run off from Philippi. Man, that is how Paul left towns, usually with a crowd chasing him. You know, not like Elvis, but, you know, you know yeah, yeah, with rocks. They're usually trying, you know, they want him gone in every possible way. But when he, got to, he came to Thessalonica, he wasn't there long. He was run off from there again fairly quickly. But others stayed behind and worked with the church and brought some news to Paul of how things continued. And then he wrote this first letter to the Thessalonian church. Now there's something we have to remember when we are dealing with letters in the New Testament. These epistles, these Uh, messages to these early Christians. If you can understand this, if you can grasp it, you'll you'll get a lot of these a lot better. Here's what you need to understand. These are first-generation Christians. They have no clue how to follow Jesus. You know, we have generations ahead of us, before us. Some of you in here, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so on, of Christian people. Some of you may not have grown up in a Christian home, but when you went to a church, you found people who have been following Christ for decades. Back then, when these letters were written, there was none of that. You'd have some Jews who had been serving God, but this following Jesus stuff was really new. They couldn't say, oh, here's how my grandma, that dear old sainted woman, followed Jesus. They didn't have people who'd been following Jesus for 20, 30, 50 years. They were figuring it out. Nobody's modeled it for them. They don't have any history. So Paul points them on the way of following Jesus. And that means we become like Jesus. If we are going to follow Jesus, friends, that is a path of becoming. Bit by bit, we are changed. If you just want to be how you are, don't follow Jesus. It's not for you. But if you want to become like him, 1 Thessalonians talks about how. But it's important to note that we're not just trying to sort out what we should be. We, we don't sit around and say, okay, we want to follow Jesus. How do we do it? Well, I'm not sure. Let's vote. Should we do this? The yeas have it. Okay, I guess we get to do it. It's not how it is. We're not chasing some nebulous concept that we discover by trial and error. We are following a divine message. And that's what Paul talks about in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians when he writes this. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words or flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Although we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. To these new Christians, Paul reminds them that the word of God is indeed of God. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to understand how we find that in the word of God. But if we're really going to follow this, we've got to understand this, this word of God. It's not just what a bunch of old guys thought about God. It's not even what a bunch of wise, capable, godly people realized about God. It is the very words of God given from him, inspired by his Holy Spirit. As Paul recaps his visit and he tells them why they are still doing this work, you keep seeing that phrase, the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. He's taught, brought them the good news. Who's good news? Hey, got some great news for you. you know, eggs are 50 cents off at Deerberg's. No! He has the greatest news of all. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. How do you know this? It's From God. This message is important. It is divine in origin. He says, I'm not spreading a message I thought up. He'd spent years of his life doing that already. When he had an encounter with Christ. He's not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. He's not trying to be popular. Man, if Paul was trying to be popular, he is like the worst at it there ever was. Because if you want to be popular, you're usually not starting riots against you. you, Popular people, they kind of lead a parade sometimes. Everybody wants to follow them. Paul was kind of like that. He led a parade. Everybody behind him was running with pitchforks and torches trying to catch him. Not the right kind of popularity. Sometimes people talk about preach. Oh, you preachers just in it for the money. Really? I'm really bad at my job. (laughs) 
Paul is saying, look, I am here to speak to you the words of God. I am not here to get a following. I'm not here to become rich. I am here to carry out my obligations before the Christ who has saved me. And Paul and the others, they spoke the very good news of Christ, that message from God. And he's kind of reminding them of how they were when they were among them. Maybe there were some people in the church at the time who were kind of coming in saying, Oh, Paul, you know, they were trying to color the memories of it. You know, you you remember when Paul did this? That's kind of what he was... And Paul said, no, you remember what we were like. We didn't take money from you. Paul's The way Paul worked is he would go to a place and he would not ask for offerings from them. He had his own job. He he made tents. And he would receive offerings from other churches to kind of help him on the way. But as long as he was working with the church, he did not collect from them. Then when he went on to another place, he'd say, all right, your turn to help out. And he said he did that not because he didn't have a right to support, but because he didn't want it in the way. Paul's job as a church planter, he wanted no obstacles in front of him. There would always be some, but none he would raise if he had anything to do with it. So he's saying, hey, remember what we were like when we were with you. We were that way because this is important. And the fact is, humanity, all, all of humanity has a message. No matter where you go, everybody's got something they want you to learn. Maybe they're trying to sell you something. Maybe they're trying to get you to join their group. Many of these messages from humanity will conflict with each other. You're not going to get them all and be be all of the things. You you don't believe that? Well, we're getting ready for another election year. You just watch. You're not going to be able to take all of the messages you're going to hear and hold them at the same time. They're fundamentally incompatible. And on top of that, we know what we would like to hear. Yeah, we know what we'd like to hear. Hey, take this pill, you'll lose weight. Do this, you'll get rid of the bags around your eyes. It's easy to sell people on what they want to hear. But you know what? The gospel does not care what you want to hear. In fact, you can often tell the truth of the gospel because it calls us beyond ourselves. Outside our preferences. It changes us. It shapes us to become more like Christ. More like Christ. I tell you, if you sit down, you, you, you open the Bible, and it never tells you to do anything you weren't doing already. You got a weird Bible. One of those other translations. You know, sometimes there's, if you look at some of the old, old, old Bibles that were printed with movable type, there's actually one out there called the Wicked Bible. They only made a few of them because there was a typo, a typesetting error. When they did the uh, commandments, they forgot a word. Thou shalt commit adultery. That's kind of a bad place to forget a word, don't you think? (laughs) Called the Wicked Bible, yeah, it's (laughs) just not really one that we consider authoritative. Sometimes people will try to convince us that 
God wants us to just be who we are. Friends, if God only ever asks you to be yourself, your God is yourself. You can tell the truth of the gospel because it calls us not to be ourselves. It calls us to be like Christ. We don't want to be called to be like Christ. We want to be told, if it's all okay, we're fine. We want to be told, hey, just as you are. We even have a song, just as I am. But you know what? Yeah, Jesus loves you as you are, but he's going to make you to be like him. You parents, you know how this works. You love your kids, don't you? Whether they're young, whether they're old, you love your children, don't you? Most of you? Yeah. On average? Within a couple standard deviations, maybe? But those of you who've had little children, teenagers, you've probably had to have some discussions with those children, haven't you? Because as much as you love your children, you know if they're going to be successful in life, if they are going to be happy and fulfilled, they can't keep thinking the way they're thinking. They need to change. There's some teenagers out there now, they're... Who, me? <laughs> yeah, trust us, we've all been there. Yep. Yeah, you ain't special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, if you're special, you're just special like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's all of us. All of us have to change to become like Christ. All of us are called outside of ourselves to do things we don't necessarily want to do. Sometimes people say, you know, explain your job badly, you know, things like that. You know, a surgeon, I cut people open and pull parts out, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, sometimes I'll put them back. Not always. Sometimes you don't want it put back. <laughs> As a preacher, I like to say, you know, I, tell, I try to convince people to do stuff they don't want to do. Because that's really what the gospel is. It tells us, hey, you need to be like Christ. We don't want to. I read the Bible. I, read, I see things I wish God wasn't telling me. Because I want to be fine as I am. We need to change. The gospel leads us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of God. He saved us. He adopted us. Now he reworks us. And his word is our help in this. Friends, the greatest changes that will happen to you are not going to happen from the books in Barnes and Noble in the self-help aisle. It is going to happen with God's word and his spirit working in you. The self-help books get you to change your habits. God's word with God's spirit will change your very self. And we need that. Because over time we become shaped to become more righteous, more godly, more like Jesus. I want you to think for a moment. Think back 20 years ago. Maybe 10 or even 5 years ago. If you've been following Jesus for that long, can you look back and look at yourself and say, you know, I'm, I'm different from how I was. 
It might not be night and day. It might be just, you know, I've, the Lord has shaped me bit by bit. If you're sitting there thinking, no, I'm the same way I was, you maybe need to start asking yourself why. Because that means maybe you're kicking against what God's doing. God's always working in us, friends. There's not one Christian on this earth that God is not trying to shape. The New Testament's very clear on that. Each and every one of us, he's working on. Might be working in different areas on some of us, but all of us are under construction. Are you how you ought to be? How can you get there from here? And sometimes we have to force ourselves to act differently because you know, this, this isn't normal. It's not natural for us to want to change like that. We have to pray more, seek God more, ask Him to shape us. If we do something wrong, if we, you know, whatever it might be, we have to admit, look, that did not go the way I wanted. That did not go the way God wanted. God, I'm sorry I blew it. I'll try better next time. Sometimes that's just how it is, friend. But all of this is from God. There's no need for us to go out of our way to preach a message that says you're okay. Nothing needs to change. Paul went to these cities. He went, he was imprisoned. He was beaten. Why? Because this message from God matters. Because this good news of God is worth it. We need to hear it because it matters. It is from God. And he tells us what we should be, but he also commands us to change. We come to chapter 3, and he says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We take this message from God, and it tells us we need to change. We have a duty from God also. This duty is not optional. It is that we give up the ways of the world. You look around this world, friends, you see what happens when we just do whatever we want. And all throughout the Bible, we find God trying to reform us 
to be holy like him. Paul here specifically mentions sexual behavior. You might say, wait a minute, that's kind of personal there, Paul. You stopped preaching and started meddling. It's consenting adults. It's the privacy of a bedroom. Paul, what, you know, what, how, how dare you critique this? Well, there's a message for us there, friends. God reigns even in our most private places and in our most private parts. There is nothing that is off limits to our Lord. Not one part of our life. People say, wait, you mean the God of the universe cares about what I do in my bedroom? Yeah, because he wants you to be holy and self-controlled like him. How can you be holy and self-controlled if you have a whole part of your life where you are unholy and uncontrolled? It makes no sense. And he says we need, you know, don't transgress, don't wrong your brother. Because left to our own devices, friends, we will treat others as objects for our own amusement. Why does he link that respect for others with our sexual behavior? Because that's where we end up. If we, are even hold, if we are holding that part of ourselves back from God, when we meet other people, we're not viewing them. Here's someone for whom Christ died. Here's a, here, here's a wonderful child of God who is on the same path that I am on. No, what we see is, how can I have some fun? It's very self-centered. Who cares the damage we do as long as we had fun? Friend, that, that, that's our world right there in a nutshell. Who really cares what sort of damage is done? As long as we had our moment. We reduce each other to body parts. We ignore the person within. We seek our own pleasure. And God says, no, you are to be holy. You are to be like me. None of this is limited to that part of our lives. It definitely applies there as well. But our self-control is to extend to every part of ourselves, every part of our lives. If it applies there, it applies everywhere. It's not just how we are in church. It's not just how we are out at work or wherever else in the world. Friends, it hits us in the most private places at home in our lives. This need to be sanctified, to be holy. Because he says we're not saved to live wild lives. We're saved that we might live holy lives. And that's hard for us to grasp. We don't get it because we don't get holiness. We don't understand it. And we don't understand it for the same reason that a goldfish does not understand dry. We live in a fallen world surrounded by sin. We are sinners ourselves, tainted by our rebellion against God. Why would we think we would understand holiness? We've never seen it personally. The closest is when Jesus came to earth. And humanity so hated the concept of holiness that they killed him. No, we are called to be like him. People say, oh, why are you Christians always say, don't do this, don't do that? Look, it's not about the rules, it's about becoming like God. 
And there are things that God does not, will not, will never do. Paul says, well, if you want to disagree, you can disagree. Not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God. Oh, well, this world will disagree. It's not us they're disagreeing with. It's the God in heaven who is on his throne. And that ought to concern us. If we follow God, how can we disregard God? It just doesn't make any sense, does it? Oh, see, I follow God, but I pay absolutely no attention to him on these topics. Silliness. Foolishness. And as he continues on from this, he kind of explains why. We're not going to get into this in detail here. But in Thessalonians, as he writes to this church, he also talks a little bit about what is to come, about about eternal life in Christ. Why Why does he do that? Because that's why we do this. Why do we offer ourselves up for sanctification? Why do we deny ourselves and take up our cross? Why do we try to be self-controlled and holy like our God? Because, friends, we are going to be with him eternally. Not because we're better than anybody else, but because we're trying to be like the one with whom we will spend eternity. Oh, I know I'm not better than anybody else. I'm probably worse than a good number of people. I know this. You don't know what goes through my head, and you are better off, friends. And I don't know what goes through your head. I don't think I want to. Sometimes, friends, ignorance can be a blessing. But it is enough. To know we're not perfect, but he is perfect. We're not how we ought to be yet, but we're becoming bit by bit more like him. One day that process is going to be done. We are headed for heaven. The day is coming. We live this way because we have a goal of eternal life ahead of us. We don't live this way just to be good people in the here and now. That's kind of lacking, isn't it? Just be nice. Well, friends, we're supposed to be more than nice. We're supposed to be holy. We have that duty of holy behavior because we have an expectation of eternal life. Because we have been redeemed and we belong to the Holy One. That's why the Jewish scholars were so afraid when they came to the name of God. They didn't include the vowels when they wrote it down because they didn't want to be tempted to repeat it unworthily. Some of the scholars, as they copied out the law, every time they get to the name of God, they would bathe. And even as they would write the name of God, you know, Hebrew doesn't really have vowels. They have dots and dashes. If you ever look at a Hebrew text, man, it is something unlike you have ever seen in English. In English, we have A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y. In Hebrew, they got dash, dot, this little thing that looks like a Tetris piece. I mean, Will knows. Ask him. And what they would do is is they wrote 
those four letters, Yod, He, Vav, and He, the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, they would put the, put the vowels for the word Adonai, Lord. And so they would see those vowels and read Lord instead of the name of God. Incidentally, friends, this is how we get the word Jehovah. If you take the, the Tetragrammaton, Yod, He, Vav, and He, and the vowels from Adonai, and you put them together, Jehovah. Wash that one through Latin on the way to English, Jehovah. So if anybody ever says Jehovah is the name of God, it's actually not. <laughs> it's taking a quirk of Hebrew and bringing it to English by way of Latin. And that's just a bad way to build theology, personally. They had such respect for God, for he is the Holy One, and we are to become like him. Man, in the Old Testament, they never tried to become like God. In the New Testament, we are commanded to become like God. How's that for a responsibility? But we are not left on our own. Jesus says we have the Spirit. We have the Word of God. To these Christians who are learning to follow Jesus, Paul writes that they need to become like Jesus. You want to follow Jesus? You do as he did. You become like him. You say, but I'm, I'm not Jesus. I, I can't do that. I can't be like him. Hey, you are not left on your own. He is going to work on you. You are now God's personal project for the rest of your natural life. God's going to work on you. To these Christians back then, Paul says, you be like Jesus. And to these Christians, we have 2,000 years of history, many faithful examples. Paul reminds us we also need to become like Jesus. So much time, so much distance between us, the exact same need to change. We are to become like Jesus. That's what following Jesus is. It's not given to the poor, it's becoming like Jesus. It's not being nice, it's becoming like Jesus. It's not voting a certain way, it's becoming like Jesus. Understand that need to become like Jesus, that is divine in origin. God wants us to do it. That command is authoritative, it trumps our preferences. If you need to be like Jesus and you say, but I don't want to be like Jesus in this way, this is how I've always been. God says, I have called you to be like my son. We need to become like him. Understand that. We need to be holy. Friends, that is going to take work. It is going to take effort. Everything about you will change with no part left untouched. I know of no Christian who has followed Jesus their entire life who has looked back and said, oh yeah, God let me keep this. Every part of them changed. They didn't become perfect in every way. That, is, that takes way longer than a human lifespan. but it will be worthwhile because we know where we're going. We know what awaits us. We're not doing it for this life, friends. We are looking forward to an eternal one. We're going to get there. 
Because Christ has saved us, we have received his righteousness. Now we continue in the process of following him by becoming like him because we look forward to being with him. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you that you have given us your word, you have given us your spirit, you have given us a really big task. Father, help us to become like you. In every way, Lord, help us to yield to your spirit, to your word, that you might shape us, that we might become ever more like your son Jesus, who has died for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.